Welcome to the Blue Oasis Podcast. This is the podcast for finding peace and prosperity, learning the history of hobbies, as well as developing a little side hustle. If you want to find peace and prosperity in your life, this is your show. Get ready. You're listening to the Blue Oasis Podcast. I am your host, Adam Rothstein. All right, let's get to the show. And welcome back to the Blue Oasis podcast. I am your host, Adam Rothstein. With me today for the 100th episode is Mr. Jonathan Green. Jonathan, how are you? I'm really good. I'm excited to be here. I love being at special events, and this feels like a special day. Okay. All right. Uh, so first, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, your background. Sure. So I started off dabbling in entrepreneurship as young as 12 or 13 years old, kind of one of those kids who would go to summer camp, order a pizza, then sell it off by the slice. But I never really thought I could be an entrepreneur. So I kind of had these two things where I would do entrepreneurial things, start little businesses, try ideas to make money. But we're constantly taught in school, oh, you can't be an entrepreneur unless you kind of comfort entrepreneur. Kind of like it feels like you can't be an inventor anymore. Like you never have anyone who encourages you to be an inventor in high school or school ever. So it's one of those jobs that I thought, oh, those don't exist anymore. And only when I lost my job that I thought was my dream job at 29, I go, I don't want to be in this position anymore. I got fired. And I realized, and this thought you have is you don't have when you're younger, oh, well, when you have a job and someone fires you, they can really affect your life. You can lose your ability to pay your rent, your ability to pay for your healthcare, your ability to pay for your kids to go to school, ability to pay for food. It's really a massive amount of power. And it's not that easy to get another job. I know lots of people since then over the last 10 years who have lost their jobs and they've spent 10 years trying to get a similar job. They can't get back up to that level or you out of work for three months or six months. And it gets really, really scary. And I just, I never wanted someone to have that much power over me again. So everything I do is really designed to protect myself and my children, now I have four kids, from being vulnerable to one person's decisions, one person's whims. Of course. Um, and uh, and my mentor has taught me that you can't rely on one source. That's why I've uh, put audiobooks out there and written books and, uh, and, and sold books on Amazon, all that stuff, and, uh, and done audio work for clients. Uh, so your author background, um, you have written a novel about AI. Uh, tell me all about that. So there's something really weird about the way AIs work, whether using ChatGPT or Perplexity or Claude or whatever comes out next, they all come with no instruction manual. So you log in, you're like, this is the most powerful tool in the world. This AI tool is going to change your life. And it's just a blank page. And I was like, what is this? How That's my nightmare. As a writer, I'm sure you felt the same way. The thought of being locked in a room with a typewriter and blank paper and someone saying, write a book. And you go, about what? They go, I'm not going to tell you that. Just write a book. That's what it felt like. So it was like my heart's racing. And I realized that they made it really hard for everyone. And so a lot of people go, have no idea what to do. They go, I'm not doing this. There's no explanation. There's no instruction manual. And I, so then I went like everyone else does. And I bought a bunch of books. I bought the top books on Amazon. And I realized that a lot of them are bad. 
And it made me really mad. They have a lot of fake prompts, prompts that don't work the way that, and I can tell because I, by that point, I tried a lot of things. I started figuring out, I watched hundreds of hours of training videos and I was getting some really great results on my own. And I said, these books are selling really well, but they don't work. And it really makes me mad because there's people out there who will buy one of these instruction manuals, try an AI, go, oh, it doesn't work and go, AI doesn't really work. It's just a fad and go back to their job. And then in a year or two, when their boss says, if you don't know how to use AI, you're fired, they lose their job. And it's not their fault because they got tricked by a bad book. So I felt this kind of moral obligation to write a book that actually works. And the second thing was all of these books have the instructions to say, oh, here's what you say to the AI, but it doesn't tell you what the AI is going to say back. So how do I know if I did it right? So my book, and some people complain that it's too long, but I don't know how else to learn unless I can hear both halves of the phone conversation. So now you can see what I wrote and you can see the response. And so you can error check. You can go, well, I wrote the same thing, got a different response. Something went wrong. Or you can see, I wrote the same thing, got the same response. Something went right. So it allows you to learn in the fastest way possible because it's designed to be that missing instruction manual that I wish I'd had six months earlier when I started using AI tools. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. So um, moving on, um, you were a program were a programmer at Blizzard. What? what? No. No. Wait. Oh my goodness! Did I really think? Uh, oh wait. Why did I think someone was? Ah, my bad. My Fish. bad. <laughs> That I don't know why amazing. I thought that for a minute. Um, uh, did I really? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was okay. All right, Blizzard in other person. I on, a Blizzard. Yeah, you were caught in a Blizzard. I don't know why I thought you worked for Blizzard. Um, okay, 2010, tr uh, tropical storm, uh, a signal five typhoon. I'm not even sure what a typhoon is. Uh, but how did did that how did that affect your um entrepreneurial journey and um and and how big of a setback was that for you yeah so we're a typhoon is just a hurricane that goes in the other direction one is clockwise one is counterclockwise that's the otherwise they're exactly the same and when it's happening you don't really look up and go is this clockwise? Like you're not thinking about that you're thinking about wow the top two stories of my house are gone so we lost our house. Everything was doing. My entire family went to the hospital. We all almost died. We all had 12 to 36 hours to live. And we spent all of our money at the hospital. So everything we owned was destroyed. All of my business physical stuff was destroyed. And the business was still running. It still made money even while we had no internet, no electricity for five days. So it really showed me the importance of building up passive revenue streams. You mentioned earlier the books and audiobooks on Amazon. That's great because that they always sell. Even if you're not there, the business keeps running. So when people talk about passive income streams, it's really, does the business run even if I'm in a coma or even if I'm dead? So it generates money for my kids. That's what I really look at. So it forced me to change a lot of the ways I run the business to be a much leaner op operation and kind of be much more strategic and say, I want to build a business that runs with as little touch for me as possible to really set up this as many passive ways as possible so that if something happens again, the revenue continues to go in. And so that was a big shift for me. But just like losing my job 10 years earlier, we have these shocks in life that are going to force us to change, even if we try and avoid it, right? We keep saying, I always said, oh, I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm not an entrepreneur. And then the universe said, well, you, now you have no choice. You're fired. You have to do it. 
in the same way, I talked about making parts of the business more passive, more automated. This forces it to happen. So I'm now, and this is why I'm so passionate about AI, always looking for ways to set up things that just run automatically so that I can be as kind of hands-off as possible and that the system keeps running just in case you have another shock, whether you get sick or you have to take care of someone in your family, things are going to happen. You're always going to have things. As much as we hope, everyone knows someone who's gotten really sick. Everyone knows someone who's had an accident. Everyone knows someone who's passed away too young. So we don't know what's going to happen, but I tried to build a business and teach people how to set up systems that can keep running even if something does happen. Of course, of course. Um, now, uh, with ChatGBT comes AI art, and and I've been experiencing, um, I've been uh, experimenting with uh, ImageToGo.com. I believe that's the uh, reference, and it's like, and it's like you could type in Ken Griffey Jr. on the Mariners holding a bat, smiling, and it looks like it belongs on his old trading card. Like or his rookie card or something, you could, you could do that too, and and uh, that also does, uh, um, it could be uh, harmful and something could be fraudulent when um, as well. So, uh, what are your thoughts on um, AI art and uh, and stuff being fraudulent, whether that's baseball cards, news, or uh, unsolicited messages? Yeah, there's already a lot of that. There's already people using it. It already existed, right? There were already like Instagram accounts that were someone else's pictures. There's always been that stuff, right? There's always been the online scam. You've already seen political campaigns that have posted pictures of other people that aren't real. And we've even seen the reverse where someone posts a real picture and everyone says, no, that's AI to kind of do the reverse, right? The reverse lies. So it's just something we're going to have to figure out. Um, I'm sure that already someone has submitted like a recording in a trial that wasn't real. That was an AI generated recording of the other person. We have all of these possibilities. There's always going to be bad actors. There's this hope that we can put the genie back in the bottle, kind of like 30 years ago when Napster came out and people could share music online. They tried to shut down that website. All that happened is 50 more popped up, right? And they were worse because they had a lot more spam and a lot more viruses. So there's always going to be bad actors, but the effort to kind of put the genie back in the bottle never works. So we have to do instead is decide as a culture with laws and with society, how we're going to deal with these things, what the approach is going to be to someone doing things like posting images of someone that aren't real, putting someone's face on someone else's body has existed for 30 years. So people have been doing these types of things for a while. And I think that it has already existed in one form or another. And I definitely think that there should be like a structure in place where you have to say, right, if it's an AI generated image of an actual person, you definitely should have to put something on the image that notifies that. I think that should be, that's fair. Um, I use a lot of AI generated images and I don't make it a secret. I know that now when you upload a book to Amazon, they'll ask you how much of this book was AI generated and was it heavily edited or not heavily edited because they're trying to figure out what the future is going to hold for those rules. So part of it is up to the governments to figure out and as a society to figure out what's okay and what's not okay, where the line is. I think that we already have a lot of laws against false evidence. Now we just have to figure out we're in an arms race between the AIs that make fake stuff and the AIs that detect fake stuff. Like I can tell you right now, 
you can make any fake image you want. Google will be able to tell because they can afford a much better AI than you or I, right? Like they have a budget that their fake data detection, their AI content detection will always be better because they have a much bigger budget. So anyone who's kind of being a bad actor, they don't have the budget that the good actors have. So I think that while we're in a time right now that's a little tumultuous, once we decide what's acceptable and not acceptable, what we decide what are the rules for how you show your work or how you show if something was AI or not, once we make those rules, I think that everything will sort out. I have a strong feeling that it's going to have a lot to do with steganography, which is like where you hide something in an image, right? Remember we saw those spy movies where something was hidden in an image. I have a feeling that every single AI-generated image has something hidden in it that reveals that it's AI-generated. Because your printer does that. Every time you print something, it has something secret on it. This is what printer made this. All printers do that. And that way, if you write like a ransom note with your printer, they know who did it right away because there's a secret code on it that the government can find. Uh, What's not that secret because everyone knows about it. And it's the same way with this. So I think that will probably be the solution. I know that they tried this with music sharing in the past. So for example, if you get an early print of a movie and you share it, they know who it was right away because there's something hidden in the video file that says the exact person that did it. That's why you don't see that anymore. Remember for a while, 20 or 10 or 20 years ago, someone would get an early, that never happens now because you always get caught and they come after you like movie studios do. You don't want to get sued by a movie studio. So I think that is probably the answer, which has to do with most AI generators will do a fingerprint thing. And there will always be AI tools that won't do any fingerprinting, but other AI tools can detect them because the AI tools that are built by the really, really big companies you know, it's the biggest five companies in the world are all building AIs. Those are going to be able to detect the content because they have a vested interest in that. Because what they don't want is government regulation coming in and saying, okay, there's a bad actor, so we're coming after all of you. So they're going to do their own action to prevent that. So I think that the market will sort itself out. But for a couple of years, maybe the next two or three years, it is going to be a little bit of a tumultuous time. I think you're exactly right. Of course. And and I am a bit worried about uh, court trials and people could be locked up who are innocent and an audio clip is played, but it wasn't them. And 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 just it just by admitting it into a court is is already an issue. And and um and and in the United States, you must prove someone beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal trial to that they did the crime and if there is a a doubt uh with an a clip of audio that um that is that could be real then i don't think you should admit it until we have a process or we have rather a system that that knows automatically too uh, whether or not it's AI generated or not, but even still, just like a lie detector test, it could, um, it could still uh, give you the wrong answer. So, um, so yeah, scary time. Yeah, people have been submitting false evidence for a long time. We saw in a trial last year where people, someone submitted images that were fake and they'd been edited and they said they weren't, but you could tell by looking at the metadata. So I think that's actually going to become a big, important part is looking at the kind of hidden part of the file. So it's going to have to show provenance, right? When you say so, I think that's what the future will be is like, oh, you have to kind of show this other part where the file comes from. And also, I think that audio recordings will stop being viable. It's going to have to be a video recording. and It's going to have to be 
a lot more going on, but it is, I'm sure it's already happened. I'm sure it's happening more in civil trials. Like when people are suing each other, they go, no, this is what he actually said. Here's a recording of the promise. I think that's what's happening right now. And, you know, judges are old because you have to be a lawyer first and you eventually, so I don't think there's a lot of young judges in their twenties that are tech experts. So I do think that it's going to sort itself out, but I do think you're exactly right. There's, there's going to be some stuff that's going to get one way that it's going to get reversed. And I do think the courts need to take action now to kind of set up their rules on what kind of evidence is admissible and what is the policy, because you're not allowed to submit lie detector tests. So it may be, I think it will go like this. You can submit a piece of thing and then they, and that's a fake AI and then it will switch and someone can then go, you submit a real recording, they go, that's an AI recording, prove it's not. So now the evidence switch, it will swing in the other direction too far. And then eventually it will kind of sort itself out. So I think it'll go one way, then the other way, and then kind of the technology will even out because it's here, the technology exists and that's just the way it is. So we have to accept that and then go, okay, how do we deal with this, that this exists? Because I already can written content. There's already written content. I can make it sound like anyone. I can write an article that looks like you wrote it or anyone wrote it. And that person, I've read stuff that an AI has written that said it was me and I it convinced me. And I've done it with some of my friends. They go, that looks like I wrote it. So if it can fool you that you wrote something, then it can fool anyone. And voices are probably three to six months away or less from being able to fool you into thinking you said something. So that's really where it's going. And the idea that the company that kind of makes the voices is going to police that, that's not going to work because you can always, for every like big company, there's an open source version of it. So it's going to get ubiquitous to where anyone can create voices with any tool and it's not going to require a big computer because it went from, oh, you have to use a supercomputer to AI. Now you can install it a pretty good AI in a laptop. So, and that's just in the last year. So it is something that we do have to look at the ethics of it. And it is a big issue that I think the courts need to deal with first. They need to make a decision on how they're going to deal with it. And I have a feeling their approach is always wait until something horrible happens and then deal with it, which is the wrong way to do it. I think there's going to be, as always, some people that get courses, court cases reversed because they were innocent and stuff. And it's unfortunate. Like I'm not in favor of bad stuff happening to people. I, when I ran into the limits of what AI can do. I was working with ChatGPT. I was writing a romance novel and it wouldn't write the dirty bits. My wife was like, that's my favorite part because she reads romance novels. That's the wall I hit into. Whereas other people were like, how do I steal a car? How do I break into a bank? Like they were trying really nefarious things that didn't even cross my mind. So I don't, I'm not really good predictor for what bad actors will try because I didn't even think like that. I didn't even consider that back when you could do it. Right? It was like, give me the formula for this virus and all these things. And one person said something like, hey, what are the 10 bank, What are ten banks that have known security vulnerabilities in the software they use? And then it said, write me a piece of code to break past those. And it did it. So that was happening while I was trying to write a romance novel with my wife. So I maybe have rose-tinted glasses, but now that I'm paying more attention to that, I know that it happens, but it's going to take a specific type of expert to figure out that world and I don't know what the future holds, but I know that we're going to find a solution because the technology is ubiquitous and the genie's not going back in the bottle. Okay. Uh, there is a website. Um, I don't, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but apparently it has the cure to cancer. But in order for it to be that cure, it has trillions of sentences, trillions of, of words, and so much text 
um, that it's incomprehensible to the human mind, um, uh, a benefit that AI could, uh, with AI is that it could access that and go find the cure to cancer with the uh, proper uh, formulas and the proper medications to solve it. Um, so that is uh, something that I'm excited for, but it could also still, with every with all the possibilities written on text, it could still also turn into a Terminator and uh, wipe out humanity as well. So um, if we could get control of it, we could we could find uh, the cure to cancer with that website. But I can't remember that website with like all these these words and texts though yeah with any tool you can use it for good or for evil you can use a hammer to build a house or a hammer to hurt someone right so every tool has it's about who picks it up what gives me hope for the future is not the big companies it's actually the open source world so Right now, there are open source tools that have beaten the paid tools from six months ago and three months ago. So there's a race where the big companies have to continually innovate because free versions of the same thing are beating their older version and it's getting closer and closer. So it's forcing a massive amount of innovation. And I think that that's going to create a massive amount of equality, which means everyone will have access to the same tools, which I think is going to lead to kind of this future where everyone has their own chance to build a business or do things online or be more efficient and kind of really equalize and level the playing field in a way that's never happened before. So my feeling is that as much as there's the possibility, like I think it's far more likely that a large company will do nefarious things than an open source software, right? Big companies do bad stuff all the time. So I think that exactly the ability to develop cures, to develop, to break old codes. People are already doing things with AI that were considered unbreakable, right? These codes that were unbreakable, these mysteries that were unsolvable have all started to break through. And, and there are things happening in the medical world. And I'm more excited by open source software finding cures. That means everyone gets access to the cure as opposed to a big company that then like patents it. So the one thing I'm excited by is that because an AI is not a person, it can't own a patent. It can't be like it can't protect its copyright. So I think there's a possibility, and I hope this is what happens, that any cure found by an AI becomes an open source cure because an AI is allowed to own it. That could be a very cool future where suddenly the price of medications plummets because medications become open source because they're developed by someone that doesn't have the right to patent anything. That could be a very cool future. There is the possibility of AI some point in the future, developing sentience right now, we're nowhere close to that. I think that's not really the thing to worry about. I think it's more about people who can slip stuff into the code that's nefarious. If you play around with enough AIs, you'll notice that if you ask it to write a poem about a man and a poem about a woman, it will say different things. They'll say different things about politicians. So you can tell who programmed it. That bent is, I think, more of a problem because um, it allows you to give people false information. It's the reason you're not allowed to quote Wikipedia if you're writing a scientific article, right? You're not allowed to use that as a source because it's known to be corrupt. I think that's more of an issue that will get sorted out over time where you're trying to slip a bias into the back of an AI. I don't think that's going to work forever. I think it's going to work for a year or two. And then eventually those AIs will have to become agnostic because that's what people really want. If someone's going to write a poem about me, then it should write a poem about them too. 
I guess. I mean, I haven't done a lot of poem writing, but that's kind of the idea that people are running into those walls, which are not even. So I think, and I think they're trying to figure it out. Like recently I hit a wall where Dolly was saying, oh, I can't do a picture of a real person. And I was like, well, I'm not asking for a picture of a real person. So, but I know they added the rule and while I was in the middle of a process, because it allowed me to do it once for an imaginary, I was doing imaginary characters. I was like, you're an imaginary character. looks like this. And I wasn't basing it on real people and it would did it. And then it wouldn't do it. So they're all testing these different things to figure out what's allowed and not allowed and what's fair and not fair. But the open source tools are always going to be, you do whatever you want. And I think that's really the free speech idea is that if you want anything you want to know, you're allowed to know. It kind of equalizes knowledge. And I just think that's the future. I think we just have to accept that, which is that you can try and keep something secret for a little while and you can try and buy some things for a little while, but people will just switch to the uncensored versions where they can go, okay, I can just write the novel my wife wants to read. And, you know, I can look up how to do things because the knowledge exists. So I think that's the future, but I don't really know. I just think that these are important questions, but I think that eventually the market will sort itself out. And I just think that you can't really put these little barriers in there because the open source AIs are just so good that everything is already out there. So there's really no point in putting a Band-Aid on one AI when 99 other AIs have the same information that you're trying to hide. So I think that's the future. I think that it's going to be a good place. I think that everyone having access to the same tools kind of creates an equality. And I think that is what will create like a really cool future. Oh, got it. All right. So there, um, so there was a song called just a pineapple. Um, and, um, if you are familiar with, uh, SpongeBob, uh, it literally sounds like Tom Kenny is singing, um, as well. And that narrator guy opens, like it's literally like they went into the studio and recorded a song and 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 it's amazing too and uh Drake in the weekend um as well but then they came out and said no we did not produce this as well so uh that could also um open up some lawsuits but you could literally create the next um hit song on the radio and and have it go uh, viral, um, as, as well. So, um, your thoughts on AI producing music? Yeah, it's already started happening. Um, there was this song that was an Eminem song that wasn't real. That was put out by, I think it was Calvin Harris, big DJ from Scotland. And it was a great song. He played it live at a festival. It was like, obviously I can never release that, but it, it sounds like him. If you have created a lot of content, so here's how it works. The more songs you've done, the easier it is to sound like you. Because there's so many episodes of SpongeBob, there's a huge amount of data for an AI to pull to really match that voice. So this is something that the recent writers and actor strikes were about. Because movie studios are like, hey, we just want to take a picture of you. And after you're dead, we'll keep putting using that picture to make an AI version of you make movies and not pay you or pay your family for using your image. That's what movie studios want to do. They're the most nefarious ones because like they're really trying to push it. So I think that you have to decide with laws. And I already think the laws are crazy because I don't know why paparazzi exist. I think you should own the right to your own image. I think if someone takes a picture of you without your permission, they shouldn't be allowed to sell it. So I already have that perspective. I think you should own your image. The thought that I can 
take a picture of you through your window. And then if the government says, oh, you're a celebrity, I can then sell that. I think that's crazy. So I already, I maybe I'm at the conservative end of it, but I think that everyone owns the right to their own image. I think that's what the law should be. So that's my personal opinion. I think that whether it's an AI generated image of me or an AI using my voice, it's still, I own it, right? It's still a component of me. It's what makes me unique as a human. So I am okay with that. I, For me, the future I'm excited by is not the future where we're stealing from people. I don't think it's necessary to, because you can make an imaginary character, right? You can make a drawing, you can make cartoon characters and you can make, I mean, watch a Marvel movie. It's all cartoon characters, right? So why do we need to do these things? I don't know. I think that it's a lazy way of doing it is to steal someone's voice or content. Now, I think that it is kind of murky if someone makes a song that's really good using those voices. They should get something, right? Because the guy did the pineapple song. Obviously, a royalty should go to the original owner of the voice and content. But I do think they should, people should be allowed to do things that are great, especially if there's like a fan element. And I know that's what's going to get figured out next. I know that like, for example, domains used to be, there used to be a lot of lawsuits about who owns a domain. So you could buy like your favorite actor's name.com. And they used to do that in the 90s and redirect it all to adult sites. So it was like a trick that a lot of people do. And the law became, you're not allowed to do that. If you have someone's name, it has to be like a fan site. So if someone owns myname.com, as long as the content is positive about me, it's allowed. That kind of became the rule because it's a fan site. It's like, you're allowed to be a fan of someone. You're allowed to be like this person, you know, and I make content about them. You're not allowed to do adult content. I think you're not even allowed to do like an, I hate this person thing. You're not allowed to do that too. I think, I'm not sure, but definitely not the adult stuff. So that's how that shook out in the courts. So it always becomes, they're trying to figure out the line between free speech and owning your own assets. And I think that we've made some rules. Like, I don't think companies should have speech. I think it should be people. Like, I think people is what matters, not a company. Like, I don't care what Twitter says. I care what the people who use Twitter say. I think those are separate to me. And I think we have to make that distinction or we're going to have this murkiness because it's kind of a slippery slope. Well, if a company could have an opinion or have free speech, then maybe this AI version of a person, right? And it gets too murky. I think the easiest solution is just to say, everyone owns their own sets, which is their voice, their appearance, their own stuff they've written, whatever. And if you reuse those things, and if someone writes a book, like someone recently re wrote the two final books on the George R. R. Martin series, and he's suing them. And I was like, you know what? You haven't written a book in 12 years. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, maybe instead of taking 12 years off because you made a bunch of money, you should have written the next two books. I kind of side with the person who did it. They weren't even selling them. They just go, you know, I'm tired of waiting for this guy. I'll just have an AI write the two books and then I'll read them. I thought that was pretty cool. What I think it should shake out as is that they're marked as an AI book. And then if you buy them, there's a split of revenue between the person who had the idea and created with the AI and the original person. I think that's the solution. That kind of means everyone gets a win. What the percentages should be, I don't know. No one's really asked me to make the final decision. But if you want my opinion, I think that's the solution, which is that you own your assets. And if someone uses it, um, and it has to be, and again, it should be, not in a negative way. Like if someone uses your image to make adult stuff, I know there's a lot of that now. I think that's weird. I don't know the rules for that. I think that maybe you can say is if it's negative, they're not allowed to do it. So they're not allowed to do adult stuff with your image. And if it's positive, like if someone makes a cool song that you're singing a song, then they should give you a percentage of the money. I think that's the solution. Otherwise the solution is no one's allowed to use your stuff without your permission. It's gotta be one or the other. So 
what it is, the idea that anyone could do anything with other people's stuff. But I think it starts with the paparazzi rules. I think because we're allowed to take pictures of people and use them against that person, because we allow that for some reason, I guess because we're all secretly voyeurs, I think that's the reason we've opened the door to more abuses from AI. I think that's the way to shut it is to go back to that core thing and go, you know what? If you take someone's picture without their permission, they still own it. They don't stop owning it. Like I don't own my face anymore because you took a picture inside my house of me without my permission. That's crazy to me. So I think that's the solution is to go back to that law. Um, okay. Video games. Now AI and video games. If um, AI could certainly uh, produce um, its own video games and come up with a concept uh, similar to Tetris, for example, um, and just have the code for uh, JavaScript or something, or um, I don't know, you could put it in uh, C++ or just regular Java and and just the code's there and it's an 8-bit video game you could sell. Um, I would be very interested in profiting off of that and like just having this machine just build out this code for this uh, game that I want to sell um, and test it and all that, and then just use AI to market it and then just, and then just sell it uh, for, you know, for pennies on the dollar, essentially. I mean, that is, that would be um, quite amazing too. Um, and, and also just getting it on the app store too with it um, and just, essentially automating it um like people would become you, you know we are in a um um forgot we're in a digital revolution so that's pretty exciting um your thoughts on people using ai to become to make video games and potentially become millionaires uh you I'm 100% sure it's already happened. It's already happening. I think that overall what we're talking about is that AI is going to make entertainment. And we're moving towards that. Now, as the consumer, do I care who made a game that I'm playing if I like it? Not really. I read books that are written by and translated and stuff, and I don't care. I probably read a book that was written mostly by AI and not realized it because it was a good fictional book. So as the consumer, we kind of have to decide what the rules are like if a television show was made written by ai with ai actors but i like it i guess i don't care that's my opinion on that one so same thing with a video game obviously there's the idea of ip and who owns something so as long as it's not stolen like it doesn't matter to me anymore that's the only thing as long as it's like that person's original idea because that's already happening i think that we're not close to that yet. What's really happening is that like AI makes a programmer a better programmer. It means you can do faster. It will not make me into a master programmer, right? If someone's been a programmer for 10 years and I use an AI and I've never programmed before, I'm not going to catch them, right? It might make me 20% better and them 20% better. But for them, with 10 years of experience, it's two years better, right? Of a master program, or is it just makes me two weeks better because I've been programming for a couple of weeks. So I don't think that we have to worry about that quite yet because it's someone who already could have done it on their own because you still have to do all these other elements to test the code, make it work, the other backend stuff. There's still parts that we have to look at and go, something's wrong here. Eventually, I think you're right that a lot of entertainment will be made by AI and 
I don't know if that's good or bad. I actually was talking about this yesterday on Twitter, which is, I think that I write, like what happens now is someone writes, uh, an AI writes a script for a video, then another AI makes the video, then my AI watches the video and transcribes, then another AI takes that transcription, writes notes, and then another AI reads that to me. And it's like, well, what if we just talk to each other and bypass all that? So I actually think we're going to lead to a revolution of less technology and more face-to-face because AI, your AI is making the content, my AI is summarizing the content, right? So why make the content in the first place? Why not just give me the summary directly? So I think that's the future. That's kind of my guess, but maybe I'm wrong. But I think that, yeah, AI video games, AI movies, AI music, it's all going to happen. And what it will shift to, I mean, there are already people that like follow and and they know it's an AI bot on Instagram and they have like a million followers and they buy stuff from it. So people will do things that I find I would never do. Like, I can't imagine that. They're like, oh, this cartoon told me who to vote for. Like that shouldn't work, but it does. So maybe I'm wrong and people like are going to just do whatever AIs tell them to do in the future. But for me, I think that it's going to lead to this panacea, kind of like with the music, with everything that happened when music went online and became so shareable, people started going to more concerts, right? Now artists make all their money from live concerts, which is what they did before the invention of recording, right? In the 1800s, as a musician, you made your money doing live performances. Then for 100 years, you made all of your money selling recordings. That's gone again, right? Nobody makes money from albums anymore. You make your money from live concerts. So things are cyclical. Like technology reaches a point where you just go back to the old way of doing things. So I think that's kind of the future, which is that, you know, my kids don't play as many video games as me. They spend a lot more time outside. I think that kind of is what will happen is sure video games are great and they're fun and entertainment and all this stuff can be made by AI, but it's like, well, now that there's no human component, you'll actually go out and go, I'm going to go to a play. We want to do more live action things with actual humans that will become more valuable. It's kind of like, um, I read in a lot of books where they're like in the future, you can go to a restaurant that has robot waiters, or you can pay more money for a restaurant that has human waiters. So the actual human experience is more valuable. So that's my hope for the future. But I absolutely think that there's going to be AI, everything, computer, and it already is, right? Like we went from cartoons being hand-drawn to be cartoons made by computers. And now we're just making it so that the creators are a little bit faster. You know, it used to be you would use a real, like they use real fire in a movie. Now they use a cartoon, like a drawing of a fire, like a computer-generated fire. They don't set stuff on fire anymore. That's the same thing. So more and more things will become computer generated. And then we'll go, well, actually this movie, but when a movie doesn't do any of that, we go, this movie's all live action. And people talk about that. So it actually becomes like a plus to not use the computer stuff. So that's my guess for the future, but we just have to accept that more and more of the things we consume are going to be made by AIs. We just have to decide what the rules are and who gets paid. Of course. Um, CGI, computer graphic, um, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know what CGI, um, is it, is it just computer graphics or? Computer generated images. So basically means anything made on a computer. Um, in 2017, um, in Star Wars Rogue One, um, I did not think they would have, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin turn around and, uh, direct, uh, director Krennic, and and just Tom and just give him the battle plans and all that stuff. Um, I was a bit in shock when that happened. Um, and uh, of course, Peter Cushing is dead or he's 
been dead for decades. Um, and, and, and I would not be opposed to having that in, um, a film or any, like something again with Star Wars, Liam Neeson and Christopher Lee. I don't think they, um, were in a film together, but if they go back, uh, before Phantom Menace and they, and they, uh, show their relationship and it looks like live action, I'm all in favor of that. Um, the first time I really saw anything like that was uh, Tron Legacy um, with a younger Jeff Bridges, and they certainly used uh, the computer to uh, make him younger. So, uh, yeah, um, I think that's a that's really exciting um, as well. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, before I. Um, I, I was going to ask you a little bit about writing writing books, but I think we covered that mostly through with the AI. Or um, I'll ask you this. Uh, traditional writing versus AI writing. Uh, pros, cons to both. Um, uh, what's your perspective? AI writing just makes you faster. I think you can create really great content with AI. As someone who's a writer, I had to make go through the same thing myself. It's like, you know what? I've written books the hard way for a long time. And I can either go, you know what? I hate this technology. Don't steal my voice. Don't write like me. What's happening? Or I can go, how can I use this? And just accept the future and leverage it myself. So that was kind of the decision I made. I thought a lot about this. So I have no problem. If I read a book and it's good, I don't care. Are you there? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh. Uh, apologies, everyone. Um, uh, rain in Florida, not the uh, always terrible here. Um, uh, Jonathan, um, just jog my memory. Where were we again? Yeah, we were just kind of talking about the future of technology and creating content and books that are written by AIs. And I was saying that for me, the consumer only cares about their experience. They don't care how long it took someone to make a movie. No one watches Star Wars and goes, wow, I love that they took 18 months recording this, right? And they don't watch another movie and go, oh, this only took them three weeks. All we care about is the actual result, the final content. The same for books. As an author, I just accept that, that people will read my book. They don't care how long it took me to write it. And they don't care if it's written by AI. So I think that we just have to accept that's the future, that more and more content will be written by AI. And that's the future. We just have to adapt to it. And I think that, Things that are old, like books that are written pre-AI, like physical books will go up in value. I think in-person plays, in-person acting, in-person conversations, which is what I want. I'm kind of tired of this, everyone sitting around the dinner table staring at their phones. I'd like that to go away and us to go back to increasing the value of human interaction. I think that's what's going to happen. So that's the future I look forward to. I just accept that people, that books are going to be written by AIs. It just is what's going to happen. As a writer, 
I accept that. And I can either be someone who goes, okay, I'll use this to create more content faster, or I can fight against it. And I'm just choosing to be one of the people who uses the content and uses the tools to do better content for my audience. Okay. Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about before uh, I end no, the segment? No? no, we're all good. That's great. Okay. Uh, send me your links um, through Podmatch. I will get to them uh, as well. Um, I'll try to get this episode out uh, tomorrow. Uh, so uh, that's going to be exciting. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you liked this episode, uh, please go to Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Rate this five stars. Write a little review. Share it with your friends. And with that being said, take care. And I'm trying to...